what happened? How am I here now? Unable to walk without a limp, hobbling around my house day to day, cautious to have sex with my wife, or even sit, or stand with the looming severe pain that I am faced with. Powerlifting was not only my passion, but it had become my livelihood. Taking that away and replacing it with the brutal pain that it accompanied me, accompanied even the most menial tasks left me feeling I had little left to live for. I looked over at my dashboard console and thought about my Glock 2240 cow that was sitting inside, just an arm's length away. In that moment, I seriously and thoroughly considered pulling it out, eating a bullet to put me out of my misery. I'm this sorry is, to hear that, man. This is MDLP. I wrote that. You see what I did there? Oh, no, this is about Brian Carroll. You sound like you need some help. <laughs> what a piece of shit. This is MDLP, Battle Action <laughs> Podcast. Uh, we have special guests here today. Beer Strong Podcast. Say hi, boys. Hi. Hello. You can't see us. Okay, well, it's a good better thing. That way. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a better thing. Can we put this sideways? Oh, my God. It might be. Um, the wide view. Instagram will go sideways. It'll be sideways. People are like, what is this? Because it'll be sideways. This guy doesn't know how to work a phone. Can somebody stand that up for me? That's what she said. Yeah. So. It should be. I forget. Straight up and down, it's going to be like this. What one. I end up forgetting is okay. that this is actually a podcast and not a YouTube video. So our special guests and our, and our main. Uh, sorry. I get messed this up constantly. If anybody's heard the first episode. Go ahead and go to iTunes and uh, go ahead and search Battle Action. But seriously, Brian Carroll is here, um, renowned powerlifter, my coach. Somebody who has become a, not only as a somebody, ideal, and somebody to look, um, somebody to look to when it comes to dealing with this fucking injury I've had for the last year or so, but somebody just knows the game. Brian, please say hi to us. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. It's been a great trip so far in Miami and uh, here to do a seminar and to coach you up a little bit. And most people have seen by now that you got to put a bar on your back. So that was a victory in itself last night. So tell us about that a little bit, Mike. Actually, that's a great question. And I, I, I really glad you brought that up. It took me nine months to earn that barbell squat. Today is gonna be starting off with a little bit more sport and then we're gonna dive deep with what I think the philosophy that Brian brings and what he's instilled in me as an athlete and a coach and then obviously transcend sport. But first of all, I've had a, for some of you guys that don't know, um, I've had an injury that is just really just not taking care of myself over the years. It wasn't acute. I have two herniated discs. One is herniated in three different spots. And I haven't, I've neglected it till finally my leg went numb one day. I freaked out. Um, I, I hit rock bottom as an athlete and I reached out to Brian and I've been working with Brian for nine months now. And we've had the luxury of having him uh, in town for a seminar. And last night, I took the first squat, or barbell squat as we call it in the game, in about nine months because I never devi deviated from the path. And it was probably one of the fucking best, most important squats of my entire life. And I've squatted and I've moved weights that would crush a man. And that's not even trying to be dramatic, it's true. I went from one of the strongest people uh, that you may ever meet at my, my weight class to somebody who had to breathe and thoroughly braced her stomach to get a cup of water off the table. And here I am nine months later, pain-free, with my attitude so much better, and my girlfriend Megan can attest to what this does to your psyche. And I have to give it up to Brian. And I honestly, I never give credit that I don't, that I don't mean. Um, so Brian, I'm not even doing this because you're on my show or, or podcast. I'm doing this because I 100% mean this shit. Um, but 
Give, do us a favor before I start continuing to talk about myself, which I'm so good at. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about some of your accomplishments? Now, not everybody that's listening understands what it means to compete geared or whatever, um, or, or like fake raw, classic raw. But seriously, tell us your numbers openly and explain a little bit about your history and kind of what we had the luxury of having at the beginning of the seminar. But give us a little uh, insight into your life as an athlete and then, you know, okay. talk to us. All right. Like I said, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I've been powerlifting for about 20 years at this point. I started in 1999 by doing bench-only meets. And at the time, I actually did those raw because I didn't know how to use a bench shirt. So um, I took a little bit of time off, did some bodybuilding since then. And I uh, ended up um, doing my first full meet in 2003, squatted 705, bench 424, and deadlifted 644, and uh, was hooked for real at that point. Um, like I said, I had a little lull between my first bench meet and my first power meet, did some bodybuilding, kind of got bored with it, didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew as soon as I did that first meet in 2003, it's what I wanted to do, and I've been hooked ever since. But um, your luck runs out over time. Um, I have been fortunate enough to get with Dr. Stuart McGill and uh, rehab as of 2013, uh, May. I went to see him, we put a plan together, and I was luckily able to make it back to a uh, top uh, one level in the world at 242. And, uh, but going back when I um, competed at 220, my best lifts were 1,030 squat, 633 bench, 755 deadlift. Competed at 242 for a while. Um, had best lifts of 1,050, um, a 785 uh, bench, and a 770 deadlift uh, prior to my injury. And then uh, I lifted at 275 for a while and squatted a 1185 world record. The 1030 was an all-time world record as well. Uh, 825 bench press, 800 deadlift at 275 with a 2730 total. And then I kind of hit rock, rock bottom after that. I still was able to win some meets here and there, won the XPC in 2012. But uh, everything kind of spiraled after that with a very severe back injury that started in 2009. But uh, me being hard-headed, I kept lifting, and I actually broke my back on an obstacle course as I was trying to hurdle over a barricade in uh, an early July morning, uh, full of morning dew. I, I landed right on my ass, like you would see from a compilation of yeah, Funny that Falls. That was for the police academy, right? I yeah, I was going to be a cop, and that's totally changed my trajectory from uh, wanting to be a cop to uh, working with athletes. And I didn't know at the time I hurt it so bad, but I, uh, I'm just, I was just used to being in pain, so I sucked it up and actually pulled my first 800-pound deadlift about two months later and my first 1,100-pound squat. And, uh, but things regressed from there as I didn't take care of myself. And um, I had to go see Dr. McGill, and luckily I was able to put things together and return back to powerlifting, even though uh, multiple surgeons and including Dr. McGill didn't think that it was possible. And uh, since then, I've returned back to the 242 weight class where I've squatted over 1,100 pounds multiple times. I've uh, benched um, almost 800 pounds at 242, and I've pulled almost 800 pounds at 242 since. With the 2651 total, which exceeds my best prior by 100 pounds before injury, and I'm looking for that final um, 2,700-pound total in a second weight class, which will be another all-time world record, biggest total ever at 242, regardless of federation or uh, division. So that's what I'm looking and doing um, in, the, in the near future. I have no plans right now. But it's been a, uh, an interesting and rocky path at times, but a lot of it was actually self-inflicted. And uh, Stuart and I recently put out a book this week 
that went live. It's called Gift of Injury, and we document the whole process, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we hold nothing back. And uh, it's for others to help avoid the, uh, the bad decisions that I made over time. And um, for those that may have made those bad decisions, they know that a back injury is not a life sentence. And um, so the, 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 the beginning of this podcast was actually a part of that book, Gift of Injury. I'm not here to sell you something because fuck knows nobody really makes money of being a strength sport. But um, that part right there um, ties me up to what you said. Let me ask you a question here. What does that feel to hit rock bottom? And I don't want, like, I'm a big guy that likes to keep it simple. Right. And when that, the reason why that hit me at home, because I've been there, and I will explore that a little bit later, maybe when the whiskey gets a little bit more into my veins. But can you, can you just really dive into what, what does rock bottom feel for a, a guy that can actually say, I have a world record? I don't even think I'm anywhere near. But somebody at your caliber what does rock bottom mean when you have been so fucking high in this world? What does rock bottom feel like? And I don't mean physically. I mean, but it really hurts where it's mentally. It's really tough because I was a top two lifter for years and years in three different weight classes. And to see my lift start regressing and having more and more day-to-day pain start snowballing. And the next thing you know, you go from lift suffering a little bit to being in pain in the gym to it going to a 24-7 thing where you're in pain at all times and being in really bad pain first thing in the morning every day it obviously like you said it doesn't just affect you physically but mentally too because you start to lose your confidence because a lot of what we do in strength sports is built on confidence because we are the strongest people for the most part in every room we go in so all of a sudden you can't lift anymore you don't have that identity where you can identify with uh that that cool little dynamic of being really strong it starts to hurt you and the next thing you know you can't start doing the most uh, basic tasks around the house every day, and that really starts to fuck with you really, really bad. Yeah, we, we talked about that today uh, during the seminar, and uh, I think there is a, like, just a myriad of emotions between feeling completely emasculated, and then it's really hard when you, and I, I can only imagine the fall from the top, because I've, I've yet to feel the top of my sport, even though I've always gave the top of my effort, and I think that hurts too for some of us that... I think that's why me and Brian, I can never compare it to what it feels like to have a world record, but I can always compare it to what it feels like to give everything you have for something, whether it's business or sport. And that fall feels like dog shit. And suddenly, it is, yeah, you are, I would always say it, you can ask, you can ask people around me, I'm probably the strongest guy in this entire fucking building. And it disappears from you. And there is a, like a heavy psychological uh, burden and it's it's not even to start this podcast heavy it's just to start this podcast real and one thing and one of the reasons why I started to work with Brian is because when I first got hurt I really just felt like no one can relate to what rock bottom felt like because I was hitting it very 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 quickly and it's something we can't we talked about during the seminar was suddenly you're on top of the world everyone wants to like like your stupid Instagram pictures everyone thinks you're the coolest Man, and suddenly everyone's like, hey, man, don't worry about that. Let me, let me get that for you. I'm like, what do you mean fucking get that for me? And you have to say, yeah, you're right. I can't get that. Yeah, it's almost like things shift from a, an envy standpoint almost to a compassion standpoint. Oh. They start feeling sorry oh, for I you. I hate that look in the face. Yeah. I hate that look in it's, the face. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot that starts to wear on your psyche. And um, the biggest thing that I try to hammer home when I do seminars and I write articles and then you know, obviously with this book that I wrote with Dr. Stuart McGill, um, 
I want to hammer home that you don't have to hit rock bottom and you don't have to have a severe back injury to start mitigating the damage that you are obviously doing if you're trying to be an elite strength athlete. And there's things that you can have in place that, yes, it's not healthy to be an elite strength athlete, but there are things that you can avoid. And if you start to have some of the symptoms, you can back off before you basically hit rock bottom. And uh, that's the biggest thing we want to hammer home with uh, not just this podcast, but with the book that we just put out is you don't have to go the same path that Mike and I have went to, uh, to understand that, um, hey, I'm starting to have symptoms. I should probably back off and uh, start being proactive instead of reactive. Yeah, and I'm going to ask one of, our, one of our beer strong guys here, JT. JT suddenly, uh, not suddenly, recently really hit strongman hard. He's going to nationals right now. He's going in the heavyweight division, which is extremely – <laughs> he's a heavyweight yeah, I would have never a, guessed yeah well he's only 105 thanks pounds. for pointing that out yeah did you see that yeah man yeah I want to fight Brian Carroll right That's now good, but I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get him drunk first <laughs> and then I'm gonna beat him with a small barbell anyways hey we're all friends here now um JT give us let me ask you a question and it's because I think about you sometimes inappropriately oh fuck yeah mm. I, I, I just came you're in this you're in this you're in this world now and this is like at a top level of recovery injury, and then you're looking at maybe like a second grade, and now you're on the way up in strongman where it's a culture. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to push through pain. It's a it's badge fine. of honor. It is. It's like you want to sit down and have war stories, and it's cool, but then you get to where we are at, and it's, it's not cool anymore. And let me ask you something on this way up. Now that you're going to nationals, you're fighting through pain. How many times have you probably said something like, do as I say, not as I do, or you run into these, these crossroads where suddenly – you need to check yourself and you need to say, I need to take a step back. Or are you like us where you just, you just walk right through it? I mean, I think it's a good healthy mix of the both or healthy as you can get. Um, there are certain times where I want to just push it because I have to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to, especially going to nationals, like, there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no, oh, I can't do this. It's no, I, I do this because I have to, and right. I have to push this weight no matter how heavy it is. But then there's also, yeah, I, I maybe I pull a deadlift or whatever, and, hey, you know what? My back didn't really feel right on that one. Do I try it again or keep going? And it's, um, I would say, you know, I, I, I kind of, judge by the how it felt and stuff and go from there honestly like you know what and i'm not going to even start here to pick on you it's like that sounds exactly like what i used to sound like yeah and and there's one thing why i host these seminars is one thing why i have brian down here is because going by feel and going by passion is exactly why i'm fucked up yeah because unfortunately you might be the biggest fish in your pond and when you're the biggest fish in your pond, going by feel, no one can tell you. And Brian, you said it, right? Mm-hmm. When you were, Brian had world records at 25. Yeah. All-time world record. I had just beaten Chuck Vogelpohl, who was you know, already a legend in powerlifting. I, I beat his squat within three years of full powerlifting meets. And what are you going to tell me at 25? Not only am I dumb and, and young, but I'm stronger than they, everyone they, in the world at 220. What are you going to tell me? You know better than me? How? Show me. Yeah. So it was one of those things that I had to learn the hard way, and that was the only way I was going to learn. And if, if you take nothing else from this podcast, know that you don't have to touch a burning hot stove to know that it's hot. You don't have to go down the same path. Yep. And I actually have a question. Go, please. Um, so you were talking about, you are talking about a little bit how you got to the point with the doctors where the doctors said, hey, dude, you're done. Including Dr. McGill. 
Right. And then I'd love to know like that that feeling, that point for you, and then how long and then how were you able to get to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to come back and I'm going to go against what professionals are telling me because let's face it, you go to a doctor to be told what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. That's, a good, that's you, a good point. You make a decision against mm-hmm. what most people would take as the word of God, kind of. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know? fear too. So I'd love to know like sort of... that journey of like defeat to like, you know what? Yeah. That's a really good question. So there's a lot of different uh, dynamics that go with that. So number one, I uh, you, you got to be a little bit delusional with a crazy belief in yourself, no matter what, because I've been told forever that you'll never squat 800, 900,000, 1100. You know, I squatted 1185 at 275, which was an all-time world record. So at the time, it's like I don't believe anything that anyone says until I see it. That's good and that's bad. That's a double-edged sword because it's a, a very hardcore stubbornness. So I would equate it to or compare it to um, a pit bull that we all know that pit bulls, when they want to get to something, they'll kill themselves to get to it. They'll, 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 they'll tear themselves up so bad trying to get through their kennel that they'll actually have to be put down because they want to get to something. My friends told me stories that spread dogs that whenever a pit bulls wanted to get something outside of a garage, a tiny crack would be and they would sm- be under there and they would smell the, the cat or the dog they want to get at and they would beat themselves so bad they'd have to be put down and I compare it to you know me banging myself banging my head against a brick wall and it was either going to be my head that gave or it was going to be the wall that gave and luckily for me it was the wall that gave but it took a lot of time and a little bit of finesse to really make that happen but to answer your question directly about the doctors um, I was used to the doctors kind of frowning upon what I what I did and uh, so it wasn't a surprise when they told me but one thing that was the biggest surprise, and I talk about it in the book, is they missed a lot of things that Dr. McGill pointed out. They were just talking about my herniated discs. I had, I had two orthopedic surgeons say that we, we could do a spinal fusion on you, but you're done anyway, and we won't do it unless you promise to quit lifting, yada, yada. Then I went to a neurosurgeon, and that's when I hit rock bottom, when he was like, yeah, we could kind of do a surgery on you, but he, he basically gave me the runaround. So. I ended up uh, scheduling a, an appointment with Dr. McGill, and I went up there, and he pointed out that my, my sacrum was literally fractured almost in half, and, and my L5 was broke too. So that was perpetuated from the herniated discs. So the, the, the bad movement under load over and over and over was perpetuated and ended up leading to fractures. So the herniated discs were the least of my worries, or the flattened discs that didn't exist. So that led me to Dr. McGill, and uh, this was kind of the turning point because my wife, Rhea, was with me. And uh, he sat me down and was like, um, you know, I can get you out of pain. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, I just have a few things left that I want to accomplish. Um, and, and then I'll be done. He, and he looked me dead in the eye and he was very nice, but very direct and said that you're there now. You have nothing left. You have no athleticism left in your back or your body. And I said, okay. And he said, I can get you out of pain, but you're done. And I said, okay, I tell you what. I said, I'm just letting you know now. And I looked at Rhea and said, when I get pain free, I'm going to return back to lifting and I'm going to come back up and we're going to discuss it. And he said, okay, let's get you pain free. Let's do one thing at a time. And who knows, maybe you're right. Maybe we end up writing a book about it. And here we are (laughs) four and a half years later. What age was that? You can't make that up. How old was I? So you set the records at 25. I set, a, I set an all-time world record at 25. And then that I set conversation a, happened at what age? And then I, I set another one in 2011. So 2006, 2011, and that was in 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And let me, okay, so you have clients that work underneath you, uh, mainly me, um, and a lot of other guys that are going to be nameless. <laughs> when, okay, so it's just like we were talking about. You're in a rough position. You are somebody that understands what a type A personality feels like. You're, you're a person that understands exactly what people like me are. When do you know, and this is something that I run into a lot now that I've, I've helped people with some injury too, not necessarily at this level, but when do you know when it's okay to give and when do you know it's okay to just say, hey, and I can attest for myself because most of mine have been turned down pretty badly, <laughs> but I'm an idiot. I wanted to squat six months ago. With here being said, what, when do you know to tell somebody you're not ready, not necessarily physically, but psychologically, when do you know? And it's most of these emails and phone calls. Right. How do you know that? Yeah. First of all, that's how you pour whiskey in the glass without pouring all over yourself. Is that what that yeah. is? Oh, that's a nice red yeah. cup. So anyway, uh, how do you know? Um, it's it. one of those things that Dr. McGill hammered home to me. You have to be pain-free, and you have to be pain-free for a certain amount of time. And it's one of those things that takes time to heal and really desensitize. And I give the analogy of a stubbed toe. You know, if you pick the scab and you don't change the way you walk and you constantly stub your toe over and over, it's never going to heal. So what we had to do is create new movement patterns over and over and over and then start building some resilience back into your body. And over time, when you were pain-free long enough and didn't have symptoms, then we could start progressing from stage one to stage two. And then now we're looking at stage three where you're going to start getting back to ultimate performance. And again, we outline all this stuff in the book that it's not just a linear process. It takes time. And just because, you know, I was able to do it next amount of time does not mean that even though your injury is less substantial, that you're going to be able to do it in a quicker fashion. I feel like I'm getting lectured right now. Did you guys see that eye contact? Yeah. I feel like, well, I'm going to tell something to my audience. By the way, I signed up for a powerlift to meet in February because I think I'm going to come back, but I haven't given him permission. So I'm trying to get Brian as fucking drunk as possible. So he makes bad mistakes. But you know what? Hey, we got a long time. Apparently, you know how to pour whiskey. You know? And we're trying to get him as drunk as possible to let me powerlift. And you know what? It's probably not going to happen. I'm a little upset about I it. I don't Mike. think it wouldn't be you to sign up for a powerlifting meet when you haven't been given the okay just to be like Listen, you know what what happened was that the way my bank account works is <laughs> that when the money was in i had to do it they were gonna take my money from my savings and i was like okay it's 100 bucks i gotta sign up the team you can't sign up the team unless you do it's it's only 50 spots left yeah, anyways i'm not trying to negotiate it's just basically science the science of the game you're trying to appeal my to my liking of kevin hart i see that i like that <laughs> what and here's another thing, man. Do you think I've slowed down a bit after having a few shots of whiskey? I do, I like, seem, do I look like I have? Uh, you guys that are listening to the podcast, he literally dropped the bottle about six times. It's been an embarrassing whole podcast. <laughs> Brian, can you please stop spilling things? for the? You guys can't see. Live feed doesn't count. But Brian has literally spilled the, the whiskey glass at least 16 times, and it's terrible. I'm embarrassed. Yeah, once we, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna cut this stuff a bit. But we got some questions, by the way. You guys asked him a good question. I'm gonna check this out. Uh, while you're doing that, so he mentioned, he mentioned that, uh, you know, how do you, how are you able to read your athlete to know that they're able to do X, Y, and Z, right? Right. And then how do you overcome the challenge of your athlete, obviously wanting to get back to it so badly that you know that there's a really good chance that they're going to lie to you and say. Well, I'm pain-free, and you know that that's more relative than them just dealing, like being used to the pain versus being pain-free. Why you got to ask such good questions? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing about that is uh, you have you to build. you guys just fucking make out already? You have to build a rapport, 
and you have to trust the client. And uh, I mean, it's one of those things that that you have to take them at their word. And but at first, you set boundaries. And Mike talks really heavily about the boundaries you set here at Battle Axe Gym. And so I, I take Mike for his word. If he says he's pain free and he's moving well and and things are going the the way they should be, then will progress but that was the biggest thing and you know I I can do a lot of parallels with Dr. McGill I I say how stubborn I was and how I was a pit bull bashing my head against a brick wall but at the same time I 100% and my wife Rhea will attest to this I completely dropped my ego when I went into that lab that day in Waterloo Canada to meet Dr. McGill and I knew nothing I knew nothing I don't care how many I had two all-time world records I had top two rankings every year for almost 10 years at that time, every single year without fail, even during the injury time. And I went in there as a total rookie and beginner and started over. So um, it's one of those things that you can't help it if people lie to you. You know, it's one of you can only take people at their word. Um, If there starts to be symptoms or um, different things that you start picking up on, clues, if you will, that, that are lying to you and they're in pain or whatever, then I don't know, you might have to fire them. But it's one of those things that you have to build a rapport and trust them and you know, I, I hope that any of the clients that I have that, that I've helped, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not a clinician, I'm not a back expert, but I do know that I've learned a lot of things in the last four and a half years. So um, back mechanics is a great resource for those that are trying to rehab their back. So I always refer to back mechanic. But again, man, it comes down to trust. You can't help it if someone's lying to you. So you just got to go off what the, the best information you have at the time and, and hope for the best. So, I mean, that's a great question. You, you never know. I mean, people lie all the time. And their training partners tell on them about certain lifters going too heavy in the gym. You know, not even like someone trying to rehab, but someone going way too heavy, they'll knock them out or they're not doing all their assistance work. So usually the truth surfaces after a while. Do you find yourself padding a little bit? Like with a certain program, a rehab program, do you find yourself padding the rehab program just in case, let's say that you have an alpha personality and you know that if you give him this much with the chain, he's going to run with it. So do you pad the program a little bit as kind of a preventative thing? Built in some safeguards? Yes. Yeah, yeah probably so. And, and, and that's just to keep everyone honest. And I think at the end of the day, um, what I've learned is erring on the side of caution. Just because someone's pain-free for a month does not mean they're necessarily ready to get back under the bar and start loading. So you want to build upon that. Maybe you add a little bit more carries. You add some more core work. You add more goblet squats. You add more versions of the big three lifts. But um, I learned from my mistake, and I outlined this in the, in the whole section three of, of Gift of Injury, that I returned to it too quick, and it wasn't because I was dishonest or I was lying. I just had such a crazy belief in myself that, that I pushed through it. I didn't have symptoms or pain. But I returned to the Arnold in 2014, and I just wasn't ready. And I was set up to win the meet, and, you know, we squatted, I was winning, we benched, I was winning. And then it came time to deadlift, and my back was not happy, and it was irritated. So I had to shut it down, and I had to go back to Dr. McGill and say, hey, I had some pain today. It's, it's time to kind of reevaluate some things. And it was a very tough pill to swallow. So I think that, to answer your question directly, that, that I do err on the side of caution when I'm working with anyone with, with the back pain that wants to return to powerlifting or strongman. We got a question here from somebody, well, one of the good ones, one of the guys that I work with, and I've always cited on the side of discipline. I think that most of the time when you're going through something like this, that's not motivation. I've, I've, I've had conversations all the time. I'm not motivated to do bird dogs. I'm not motivated to move perfectly. There's no motivation to come in here and squat a barbell when I've pushed my limits. And I've always said that it's discipline, but 
to most of us, there needs to be some things that motivate me. And I think that to us, it could be somebody else lifting. It could be a video that we heard or a song. So the question is, taking such a hard hit on your ego, because like you said, it does hurt the ego. And it's, a lot of it, it boils down to that. What are some things that get you motivated? Not discipline, because we know that you're disciplined, or else you wouldn't be a, a world-class athlete. But what are some things that get you motivated in the game and mentally pushing forward despite all the shit you had to eat when you were down at the bottom? That's a good question, and I have a really good answer for that. I fear that I'll be done lifting, and I'll look back and say that I underachieved. I'm scared to death of that. I'm scared to death to say that I didn't get everything out of myself within reason without being totally wrecked in my 40s and 50s. That I'll look back and say, hey, I was in my 30s and I didn't give it my all and I left some potential untapped. That's terrifying to me. There's, there's better lifters out there than me, but I'm looking at 15 years of top one, two, and three placings that have to put me up there to be considered one of the better lifters of this generation. And I hang my hat on that. I'm, I'm proud of that. There's better lifters that have lifted in the last 15 years, but I've outlasted a lot of them. And you got to consider that with a longevity standpoint. So I think that at times, especially when I was coming back from this injury, I, I, I told Dr. McGill specifically that I have stuff I still want to do. And he shut it down. But hey, I wasn't, I wasn't at a point where I wanted to, to shut it down. And in Dr. McGill, McGill's words, after I sent my MRI back to him after four years, we, we reshot one in, in July, and my back had healed itself. And in his words, the body does ungodly things when you do the correct things, you move well, you give it time to repair, and you let it take care of itself. It does some crazy things. And that was his words, and I had that crazy belief in myself that I would return back. And I didn't necessarily believe that my MRI would all of a sudden look good, and you guys can look in the book there. And uh, in section one to see my MRI before and after and the proofs in the pudding. I had a crazy belief in myself and uh, we made it happen. And that's not to say that, um, you know, any other athletes can or can't, you know, come back from such an injury. But I, I got a little bit of, a little bit fortunate. I surrounded myself with really good people. You know, Dr. Miguel being the best at what he does. I had uh, great training partners that, that stuck with me. And, um, you know, my great wife that, that stuck with me in the, in the hard times and good times and, it's one of those things that, um, you know, it's a little bit of luck, a little bit of preparation, and a little bit of hard work that, that, that saw me through. So last, well, I want to say bye to the live feed. Um, last episode, we hit something, and uh, it was, I was talking about something we talked about um, with when we did Keto Conor Coach, where Danny was here for our seminar on Keto and a lot of things in strength, also part of 1020 Life, which is Brian's philosophy and team. What and I and I'd love to find a simple answer because I, typically the first answer is the best answer and the shortest answer is the less emotional answer. We discussed on something about what it actually pushes us to keep going, um, and you said something. You said fear of not having given enough when you were doing that. We talked about it last time yep. underachieving. We talked about it last time about having what it takes. If you were to tell somebody right now, me, us, we're all athletes here. Most of us in the room. Maybe not 67 like last time, but if you were to tell somebody right now, um, what is it that fuels you? That, that, see, on my wall right now, Brian, it says the will to win. I was gifted that by my coach, Wesley Carroll, which happens to have the same exact last name as, as Brian, which is crazy. Destiny is interesting. We, we were at a Muay Thai class. I was a Muay Thai fighter at, at a point, and he lined us up, and he told us, tell us what your biggest, uh, your strength is. 
And of course, when you're a top fighter, the first thing you think is, you know, physical. So it came to my turn, and they're like, you know, Mikey, because everyone called me Mikey, so unless you fought with me, don't call me Mikey, fuckers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they said, what's your biggest? I said, my legs. I mean, I was, a, I was a really good fucking kicker. I won my second fight by breaking the guy's MCL. I was really good. I said, my legs, my legs, my kicks. Right. And he said, no. And he goes, what is it? And I stood there embarrassed because at the time I was like the top dog. He just humbled me, disgusted. And I stood there silent. I said, I don't, I don't know, Wes. And he said, it's your will to win. Mm-hmm. And when you have a coach, just like when you and me talked on email, you said you haven't earned the right to lift again. And that punched me right in my dick. Um, and he said, the will to win. And that was something that stuck with me. And I would think I was 22. That was 10 years ago. And it stuck with me and it'll stick with me to the day I die. Just like when you and me spoke originally on emails and I said, well, I was thinking I was going to come back in like three, you know, six to eight weeks. I'm like, I'm, I'm badass. I'm mentally strong. I'm strong. And I can't. When do we squat? And the first thing you said via email, which really pissed me off. And I'm okay with that because you're supposed to be pissed. You're supposed to be put in your place when you have a coach. And he said, you haven't earned the right to lift that weight. And that is exactly why I decided to work with Brian. It wasn't, I mean, I love powerlifting and I respect what you've done, but it transcended the physical. I wasn't impressed necessarily, and I mean that I'm not impressed <laughs> by your thousand pounds. It wasn't that, that didn't, <laughs> you know. 53 um, what squats is it? over a thousand pounds. A 600 pounds pound squat at uh, 240, I wasn't listening. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but seriously, I was like, I said, okay, man, that's fucking awesome. But it's because his philosophy transcended the physical. So if I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm going to be serious about it, if you had to tell somebody deep within your fucking guts, what is it that drives you? What is it that drove you on the rock bottom? What is a something, a line, a sentence, a phrase, a mentality that you can tell somebody listening right now that keeps you going and kept you going? Well, Mikey. Um. <laughs> hey, can we, can we cut this podcast right now? Because I'm, I'm about to go home and cry myself. To it's sleep. an addiction. It's an addiction of succeeding. It's an addiction of, of improving. It's addiction of, of, of walking in and maybe not being the biggest guy year after year after year at powerlifting meets and going in and then out squatting everyone by 100 pounds and people being like, what the fuck? I mean, for years and years, I was a, a pretty smaller 220 guy. And um, then I, I got to be 230 at 220, 240 at 220, 250 at 220. I mastered cutting weight, and I wrote a book called Cutting Weight. Um, I read it. And, uh, you know, I became a master at cutting weight, and, and I'd walk around it sometimes over 250 pounds on meat day where everyone's 235 and they think they're big, and I would just laugh. I would just smile because I had such a big advantage. But I had to put in the work and suffer, you know, beyond what the normal person could do to get down. And we see that in the UFC when someone walks in at a gigantic 205, like John Jones, at, you know, 6'5", or whatever he is. And, you know, he weighs in at 205, but he walks around at 230. So that's, you know, kind of an example where he just has a, um, an advantage on everybody. It's nothing like taking a bunch of cocaine and cut weight. Yeah. Did I say that? <laughs> nothing the like boosting. Ah, uh, that's the secret. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Go so, on. and then, you know, eventually, um, you know, I, I cut a bunch of weight to make 242 and the same thing, man. I, I just like competition. I don't really enjoy training a lot much because it's like punching the clock. I mean, I like it because it's, it's an art. It's an art form. It's an expression in some ways. And I enjoy putting in the work and I enjoy taking a big weight. But the, the assistance work and the stuff behind the scenes that isn't so sexy to post on Instagram, it's work. It's work and a lot of people skip it. And that's why 
they, they either don't come back from an injury or they don't last very long or they're not very good. And, and, and it's the, the unsexy things that you have to do day in and day out for years and years and years to last. Um, and, and, and I just like succeeding. And, uh, you know, in my last run at 242, I would walk around at about almost 270, around 265, and make a pretty relatively, now relatively easy cut it's at 242. Yeah. 25 plus and, is always a plus. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that I keep learning more and more about cutting weight, and I enjoy doing that. I enjoy being 270 pounds on meat day in a class that, that a lot of guys walk in, walk around at 238 and comfortably weigh in. Meanwhile, I'm suffering for two weeks, and then I'm – I'm at the monolith looking like I ate a 242-er, and I, I enjoy that. It's, it's, it's a lot of ego. Let me ask you a question. This might be a little deep. Listening to you, Brian, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that it's your joy of overcoming obstacles, or do you think it's your addiction of overcoming fear? It's probably both. You know, it's one of those things that regardless of how you feel about um, equipped lifting, and it's all I've known because it's all existed when I started, um, there's something to be said about getting under 1,200 pounds or 1,185 and 1,000-pound you know, squats over the last 11 years, year in and year out, that is a really big mental challenge that I really enjoy because you know, as, as far as I can calculate and as far as I can see, I have the most squats over 1,000 pounds, which put me at 53 in three different weight classes that um, I'm, I'm really proud of. And I like that, that I can get under 1,000 pounds and squat it any day of the week, regardless of what I'm wearing, whether I'm wearing a tutu or knee wraps or a squat suit. It's like, why are we even here at this point? Right? Yeah. yeah. You guys remember I my... Mean, yeah. I, I think I'm going to just put that on repeat for the next hour. Yeah, it's just... Brian, my... <laughs> you can go ahead and go home now. We can just repeat that. <laughs> yeah, no, we got it from here. You're like, yeah, we, we guys, I, I bought a new car. Well, I'm 242, and I just squatted 16,000, 17,000 pounds. <laughs> Fuck my life, man. But it's both. Answer yeah. your question I, I i like the challenge and uh, i like overcoming the fear because with a fight or flight it's a conscientious decision either you run or you, you run to it yeah. right so it's one of those things that i'm scared all the time it's not about being scared of re-injuring myself because i i put all the behind the scenes work in and i have the best lower back guy in my corner dr stuart mcgill if i don't know something i just email him he's one of my best friends and mentors so i'm confident that i put the work in and uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm scared of failing. I'm, I'm scared of uh, looking bad. I'm scared of, of, of regressing. So all of that combined uh, makes for a, a pretty sound mindset to, to know that no matter what, because you've done it so many times, you're going to get it done. And I ask those questions because it's going to lead me to my next point. It's going to be an excerpt from the book, too. But when you listen to Brian talk, and at least when you're listening right now, if you're paying attention, it's really coming from internal motivation. And not even internal motivation. It's just internal character. It's discipline. It's somebody who is defined in his mind who he is. And when you're an athlete, um, it needs to come that way. And it comes to this part. It's page 93, it's section 3, chapter 11. Um, and I'm gonna, it's talking about being motivated by external sources. And that sometimes when people say you can't do something, that I, I, it can motivate you, but it shouldn't dictate your path. And let me go ahead and read this for you real quick. I was indifferent, and here's why. When people want me to fail or doubt me, it, it motivates me to an extreme point that I can't describe. But, in my experience, the wise man adheres to the following. You can't let your naysayers fuel you and push you harder to motivate you going forward and you go. You can. But do not let them determine your goals nor change your approach or direction. 
Now, to put that in normal people talk, and it's because maybe you have to hear it again and rewind it because you really should pay attention to that. When people say you can't do something, it's motivation, but it's not a GPS. He says it right there in the next paragraph. It shouldn't guide you to the path. It should give you fuel. It's like some gas in the tank, but it's not what's filling your gas tank. And I used to be like this when I was younger. When people told me I would win a fight, I was super nervous. Like, you're going to win this. I would get super nervous. But when people told me I couldn't do something. You had nothing to lose. Nothing. Yeah. And that was me being a pussy. Yeah. It wasn't me being, it was just me being, oh, now I can say, well, you said I couldn't do it anyway, so I can't do it. There you go. Mm -hmm. But it would really me just being really, really scared. And I, I see that a lot. And I see it a lot. And we will talk to, we'll touch on social media because we've been talking about it all day because it's a powerful tool. Everybody's like, all my doubters, all my haters. Listen. You're not that fucking popular. I'm not that fucking popular. If you think that you're being I a goal and you're so being bad. a trendsetter because <laughs> 6,400 followers. Uh, if you really John, think that I you're you're you. <laughs> you're making a difference because you're going against your naysayers, it's minute. Mm -hmm. Actually, a lot of people want you to do well. Your family, your friends, the people that count are on your fucking side. And if you're looking for that two people, those two people that are are just naysayers to guide you to your goal, you know what happens? You fail, you get fucking hurt. Mm -hmm. And that's typically what? Like, like bro sessions? Bro, but you can't do that. And how many of us have been there? And that's happening now as adults, as men, as leaders, as women, as athletes, as coaches. Oh, you can't do that. I'll because, show you. Yeah. I'll go do it now. And, and here we are. And that's something that was huge because I, I bookmarked it in, um, in the book. And if you're hearing them talk, and this is not something we scripted. This is completely live, unscripted. That's why... We, I keep kind of messing up by talking really close into the microphone, but um, it's something that you can hear in his character. And anybody who's worth a shit will tell you that. You can hear it in their voice. It's like, I don't really give a fuck what you think. It's great that you think I can't. That's great. Thank you. But I got this. And JT and you guys here and all of us that lift can really attest to that. Brian, how did you get there? Is it because I understand, listen, because you hit rock bottom. How many people fucking just suddenly just like... You know, because we're not idiots, bro. We know who said what to who. Somebody sent you a text. Look what this fucking guy said. And when you're at rock bottom, everybody likes to send you like text pics. Hey, look what this guy said. All right. How did you not, how did you just like let that, how did you come to that point where you weren't going to look for external money? It's really easy to look at haters as motivation. Right. How did you dig in from the bottom and be like, hey, man, I got this. I had, I had enough to worry about, man. I had my own athleticism and back health and life and relationships to worry about where I just couldn't be bothered by it. And I had some conversations with so-called friends that would come out of the woodwork and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm reading about your comeback and is this like a temporary fix or is this like a real fix? And uh, of course I just, you know, it, it wasn't FaceTime or anything or Skype, it was a phone call. And uh, I would just kind of smile and say, no, I think it's a permanent fix, I'll be okay. And I'll still have you finishing behind me for the next 10 years to come. <laughs> Just waiting for you to buckle, yeah. Yeah, and it was, you know, some of that stuff would, again, it would fuel me, but it would not become my GPS. Now, it never threw me off my path. It would just motivate me a little bit more. And, and here's the key. It's not about motivating me to do more work. It motivated me to cross my T's and dot my I's with everything and not cut short. Not, I didn't add anything extra in, but I made sure to do everything that I knew to do, needed to do, and knew to do 
and um, didn't take any shortcuts. Whereas some days I might have been like, okay, that's good enough. No, every single thing that I had on my plan to do, I made sure to do just because of the couple fuckers that I wanted to keep in the back of my mind. Yeah, man, that's perfectly said. And that's, I mean, there's a couple of things in this book that hit home. Um, and I think I'll touch on the last one. And that's about it. And then we're just going to go into some freestyle talking. I understand that um, 2014, just before your, your, your comeback, um, so when Brian came back, and um, he'll, he'll talk about it more, he came back too early. And I think that transcends sports. Most of us, when we fuck up, whether it's a relationship or a fight, the first thing you want to do is you want to get back and you want to feel like what it feels like to be on top. When you fuck up business-wise, friendship-wise, when you know you're the one that fucked up, you're like, please, hey, let's meet up for lunch, whatever. And again, the reason why we do these podcasts is because it transcends sports, right? 2014, you came back into the sport. You were feeling good. You were huge in a sense. You got to 295. You were saying that it was a little too, 295, by the way. <laughs> whatever, <Nine>. JT. <laughs> JT's 600 pounds. He's, uh, you know that show, My 600-Pound Life? Oh, well, JT from Beard Strong is, is there, pretty much. Um, he's Swag. there. We feel bad for him, but he's here. Um, they wash myself with a rag on a stick. Um, <laughs> I, I pay two people to bathe me. <laughs> two small Asian boys. The <laughs> they know what you want. <laughs> so you came back a little early. And to put a long story short, which I don't really want to put a long story short, but in essence, it fucked you up. Mm-hmm. And you had to take kind of a gimme deadlift. Um, and that year... That year was maybe when we hit rock bottom, we think that the only way is up, but that's not really true. And that year, not only did you, I mean, there's nothing worse than thinking you're out of the shitter and then you, that's like a second rock bottom. Mm -hmm. There's like, you realize that there's a deeper hole and you lost one of your best friends and fuck man, if I can relate to that on a personal level, I understand. And I think that's why this has transcended everything. Um, you realize that there's more rock bottom, and instead, you relapsed. You had a you didn't relapse. You had a better judgment. You got better. You got smarter. You got stronger. You got more focused. When somebody sees a second rock bottom, nobody talks about that second rock bottom. You understand? Everybody talks about one. It's not. It's right. peak and valleys, and sometimes those valleys, the second valleys, really suck fucking dick. Mm-hmm. Because I had that in April. You know, we were working together. Things were good. I was pain free. Suddenly, my best friend dies. Wanted to fucking kill myself. And I'm not saying this to be stupid. That's why we started with the goddamn thing. Hey, that was it. I'm done. I got all my friends. I can't drink. I can't fucking smoke. I can't fucking eat. My best friend's dead. I'm super depressed. I can't get anything out. Right? And here it is. I'm like, really? Can it get fucking worse? I mean, this is what I really want to know because I have you here in person. What the fuck got you out of that second pit? Because there is nothing more than a world-class athlete taking a 145 fucking deadlift. As a gimme, because your back is fucking pissed. Mm-hmm. That fear, that anxiety, that fuck, did I just fuck myself again for life? This is, this is not a kneecap, son. This is a spine, dude. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because that shit means a lot to me. Yeah, it was really tough because I was winning the meet pretty, pretty handily. And, um, yeah, I went to deadlift and my back was grumpy. And I had a, a really big fork in the road again to decide either I wanted to fight through it again like I had year, had years before and uh, pull what I needed to pull to win and be done. Or I could say, hey, it's not worth it. I've come too far and I need to back off and uh, shut it down for the day and live to fight another day. And uh, ultimately, that's what I did with some good people in my corner. 
And it sucked sitting on the sideline that day, but I knew again that I would come together with a better plan. And so as soon as I came back uh, from Columbus in 2014, I shot an email to Dr. McGill and we talked about it, but you know, I was up, down, happy, sad, and kind of went through all the emotions, but I didn't make any decisions at the time. And uh, we put together a better plan and um, came back, dropped some body weight, and then uh, was able to push forward and, and be better than ever. But nothing's linear, and I talk about that a lot in my original strength training manual, 1020 Life, that nothing is linear. And uh, even though it's a linear periodization program, there's, there's phases of training, there's deloads, and we gotta know just because we're making a certain amount of money our first three years at a job, it doesn't mean six years from now we're gonna be making double that. It isn't how it works, and the strength training is the same way. Usually the person's gains, the biggest ones are made in the first couple of years, and then they start trickling in from there. So it's one of those things that nothing's linear, and luckily I had the patience and the mental toughness, and that's the biggest thing is the mental toughness to understand that it was just a bump in a road, not to make any rash decisions, kind of lay low for a little bit and come together with a better plan, and we ended up laying out a really good plan, and, and it's worked out, and I've been pain-free since uh, without any kind of a flare-up at, at all, and that was 2014, so three and a half years ago. See, that's... And so, I came back and won the, the Arnold. Won the Arnold's yeah, two more season. times since then. Fuck, you know. I, yeah, hey, two more times. And we, if you guys pick up the, the gift of injury, uh, you're going to only see the MRI picture, um, which <laughs> it looks like shit. You don't even have to be some, like a radiologist to see what that looks like. It's just wrong. Yeah, it's, wrong. It's, it's, yeah, something's <laughs> bad. You know, like you see spaces in between bones. Why is, there, like, why is it all black and flat? Yeah. You're like, what is this? Is this an unhappy face in here? Did somebody put an emoji in this MRI? And... <laughs> I looked at that, and I'm looking at this now, and um, I think that's that's one of the biggest things that I'm hearing now is that you had Stuart. Well, Stuart McGill, if you guys don't know, is probably the leading spine specialist in the fucking world when it comes to sports adaptation. It's not somebody that just studies spines. It's somebody who's out there fixing people's lives, literally. They take athletes, uh, human civilians, human civilians yeah like we're in district nine but <laughs> civilians uh which brian should watch which he's not seen but we're trying to hold on um and and he puts them back in sport mm -hmm. it's not like he's just studying you know these dead bodies and then writing about it in a book he's really making it happen uh and what we see going forward is i really think that what you talk about here, what you talk about being different, what you talk about learning from somebody is kind of how I see you in a sense where you want somebody that, oh, I do especially, that has been in the trenches, has been in the game, has been in everything different, and has pushed those limits. Mm -hmm. And I, if you look at all our, our emails, um, if you look at all our emails and our conversations, it's really, it's really about, um, a lot of those are me fucking venting about what the hell is going on with my body, yep. right? Yep. If you uh, literally, and we, and I only use the term literally as in Miami, literally 300 emails. I think it's about a 287, I think, right now. I, you see that, how everything was seven? Was so yeah. What power level are you at? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I remember my first game. Oh, 270? 287, bro. Oh, you We're talking about video games. Brian Sorry. Carroll just left the building. He doesn't <laughs> want to talk to us anymore. <laughs> my nose yeah. <laughs> and so... It, it comes down to that kind of um, mentorship, emotional um, dependence on somebody, and that takes trust, right? And that comes back to our point. And it's something that John was saying here from Beardstrong. How do you know when to trust? 
how do you know when to to really to, to believe in somebody or your client it becomes a trust issue right mm-hmm. and that comes from being led by somebody that has importance you guys know what I'm talking about it comes like the reason why Brian trusts me is because I've trusted a coach before and I think that comes from any real athlete so um, Brian I'm going to ask you a question now I'm going to pour your whiskey for you because he doesn't he spilled it the last time guys you guys should have seen it so sloppy it was terrible. The Slopster. We're, we're sponsored by Laga. No, we're not. I don't <laughs> want to say that. <laughs> I get fucking sued. Um, but so that'd be cool. We would w- totally be fine with that. If you guys want to sponsor us. Because um, we drank it and yeah. they ain't paying for it. Nope. So we're doing a seminar. Behind, behind uh, me right now, there's a board. There's a dry eraser board. And on the top it says, don't be a pussy. Everything ends. I don't have to see it. I don't have to look at it. I've memorized that. I'm going to get that tattooed on my neck because I'm a scumbag and I love neck tattoos. And I'm going to tell you where that story comes from. I was playing rugby with one of my rugby mates. And he tells me this story. It's probably not real. It doesn't matter where the story comes <laughs> from. It's what the words mean to you, right? right? He says there's a story of these two guys going out to the ocean. One's like a Navy SEAL badass and the other one's like a civilian. And they run up to the ocean. It's fucking freezing. It's cold. It's terrible. It's one of these like California coasts where it's like dark and cold and, uh, and miserable. And they're like, hey, let's swim out to the buoy. And the one, the one civilian guy goes, you know, it's cold. And then all the seal says to him, he looks at him and goes, don't be a pussy. Everything ends. And when he said that to me at the time of my life, I thought this was probably one of the most imp- And he said it, we were drunk, we were being ridiculous, but it sobered me up. And it's funny because you said it, and it, it meant a lot to me because you said it without even thinking. It's not like you read the board and said it. And you said it right after the, everything you said, nothing is linear everything ends which means and it keeps going back to the whole peaks and valley and the whole concept of training the whole philosophy of life mm-hmm. if you had to apply that concept of everything ends and i apply this in the sense of because everything ends we have to live our life to the fullest but that also is the same concept that got me fucked up because i get that concept everything ends and now everything ends doesn't mean the same thing to me it doesn't mean go boss to the wall. It doesn't mean do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't mean, well, I'm going to deadlift 600 for five, and if I have two more, I'm going to do it till my spine breaks in half. If you had to explain to somebody like me, which was self-destructive, when you say something, nothing is linear and everything ends, what does that concept mean? Because everything ends is a big deal at the Battle Axe Gym. It is, you know, it, it is a motivational. It is the one that we say. If you had to put that into your own perspective, and this might, you know, you're, you're really good at fucking responding to his questions. I was hoping he'd take more time so I can go pee, but it's not working. Uh, he's fucking quick. Trying to pull a job Yeah. Here. <laughs> uh, he said if his IQ was 70, but it's clearly 80. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if, ever, what, if you were to say this for real, this everything ends concept to you, because you said it. Right. What the fuck does that mean to you? That's a good question. Um, man, there's a limited amount of, uh, there's a finite amount of athleticism in each one of us. And uh, that's something that my mentor and good friend Stuart McGill has hammered home to me. And it's something that I realized as I got my second chance a few years ago that everything does come an end, come to an end. And, and we talk about it in the book a lot that, um, you know, on average NFL players that play uh, one year in the league lose about three years off of their life. And it's one of those things that, man, no matter what we're doing, especially as an elite strength athlete, it ends eventually. Not, you know, not everyone can, can just compete forever and be healthy and not suffer the consequences. 
And we all know someone that's getting shoulder replacements, knee replacements, hip replacements. And you have to ask yourself something. And, and, and each person is going to have a different time where, where they say, okay, that's enough. You have to ask yourself how much is enough and how much pain are you willing to endure in your late 30s, your 40s, and your 50s because, let's face it, you know, the, the average male lifespan is, what, 72 years these days or 75 or something like that? I don't know. I haven't looked in a while. But let's just say for the sake of numbers, 75. Well, Mike, you're only halfway there. So it's one of those things that you have to ask yourself, how bad do you want to sacrifice now and pay for it later? Because it does end. The amount of pain-free capacity does end, and each person is going to be a little bit different. So that's the way I look at it. And I know that there are limitations to each one of us because we, we, even, even the genetic freaks come to an end, and we talked about Bo Jackson earlier. Everyone has a finite amount of athleticism in them. Okay, so this is perfect. And here's probably my biggest question to you, and this is something I deal with not even on the medical term. You've tasted greatness. You've been a world champion. You've been a world record herder. I, I fucking have not. I set out my goal five years ago to get my pro card. I haven't gotten it yet, Brian. When do you know to throw it all out the fucking window to chase greatness? Because we know, and this is a heavy question for me as a coach, when do I know to tell these guys, uh, fuck it, man, you're right there, just let go. You're right there. Throw, throw family to the wayside. Throw your spine to the wayside. Because that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Because I was so, even I was fifth and sixth. I'm only two, three points away from getting my pro card, which in strongman is a big fucking deal, right? Right. What, when do you know to throw it all away? You, you threw it all away and tasted greatness, right? Mm -hmm. And here you are still tasting greatness, but it's, maybe it's because you, you touched that mountaintop. What do you tell somebody on the climb? Hey, you know what? Fuck it. Like, just forget it, man. Your back hurts. Don't be a pussy. Right. Well, concerning the back, I, I, would, I wouldn't tell them to push forward. But <laughs> as far as the aches and pains, I mean, I still have aches and pains. My knees ache. You know, my shoulders ache from time to time. But as long as I'm doing the things that, that I know to do each day, even without medication, I'm, I'm not in too bad a pain ever. And luckily, my back doesn't ever hurt. It's, it's just little things. But um, what I would say to someone, let's say 30 years old, that's on the cusp of greatness or getting ready to turn pro, I would say you need to take a, a, a real pros and cons list, a Benjamin Franklin style a pros and cons list, and ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? And understand, and even write it down and say, I want this goal no matter what, and I understand that I may be a cripple in my 40s and 50s, but it doesn't matter to me. But you have to understand that there are consequences to every action, and there's an equal reaction every action so you have to understand that you may be paying for it later so the juice has to be worth the squeeze and how bad do you want it right that's perfect man and i tell a lot to the guys is that i think there is a social coolness right to saying yeah i'm about that life and i look at these guys i'm like you have no fucking idea and i'm not mm -hmm. even going to put myself on your level brother because i can't but i like i said I know what it is to bite that bullet emotionally and say, um, no, I give up my whole life. In fact, I opened up a gym because I made this gym because I couldn't. There was no strongman gym. I, I sacrificed relationship problems, family. I had no money, oodles and noodles. We were not going on vacation. I was the guy because we were building this gym, right? And I guess on even on a beyond the physical level, I see it all the time. People are all about that life. Oh, I'm about that sacrifice. I'm about that. I'm like, no, they, 
No, you're not. Like waking up, we said it last episode too. Waking up at five is not a fucking, it's not a grind. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. Like dieting is not a grind. It's a gift. It's called being an America, American, by the way. It's so much easier for us to get 16 pounds of chicken breast for nothing. For sure. It, right? And that's one thing that I think of people, we have that conversation a lot with athletes. Like with my guys, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm willing. I'm like, are you? And you know why? And I know they're phony. Because that one little day they wake up with a tweak. Not an injury, a tweak. It's like they shit their pants. Mm-hmm. Right? They're like, it's, what's wrong? My hand hurts. I'm like, your fucking hand hurts? I'm like, what's the problem? Yeah. And have you, you, you probably seen that, right? As a coach, as an athlete, where mm-hmm. these guys are about that life. Yeah, Dave Tate said one time, he says, you, you got to judge a lifter by um, the way they respond to not just adversity, but an injury. And you, mm-hmm. like a serious injury, not a tweak, not a rolled ankle or, or a bum like knee, but like a blown out, you know, a blown out back, you know, blown off peck, you know, shoulder reconstruction, whatever, um, hitting rock bottom, whether it be having to start over and, and, and facing like real adversity and competition and how they respond to that and if they come back from it. So I agree with that sentiment. And uh, I'll go a step further that, um, yeah, most people are very hardcore until they're faced with it, um, like a real injury. Um, you know, Brandon Lilly's one of them that had a real bad injury with both of his knees blown out. And uh, it's one of those things that it changes your, your perspective, no matter what, even if you don't mean for it to, it changes your perspective on how you look at life because you're like, oh shit, now I can't hardly walk three steps. Do I really want to try to pursue powerlifting anymore? Yeah. You know it's what I like mean? like Mike Tyson. Everyone's got a game plan. They get punched in the fucking face. Yeah, so everyone talks a really big game on social media, and it'll get likes, it'll get shares, and unfortunately, a lot of the best marketers that are out there that have the you know zillion followers on Instagram and Facebook, they don't know anything about uh, excelling or greatness or anything like that. Brad Castleberry. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> plates are real. Aren't those plates real? Here, yeah, here. when you spin them a thousand times on there, that's real, looks, right? Here's here's the key: if you have enough time to really market all of the time and, and, and post all of the time and really build your following all of the time, not just in, in bursts and stuff when you have a new project out. That means you're not really putting time in in the gym. It means you're a great marketer and you're not a great athlete. So there's a big difference. It's, it's very rare that you find both. And it's one of those things that, you know, unfortunately with a great marketer, people gravitate towards it because it's, it's cool. And it's in your face. And we know how the algorithms work on Instagram and Facebook. The person that's paying the most money or the person that, that has the best marketing, you're going to see their posts much, the, the most. And unfortunately, those are the people that are going to be on the forefront of the fitness, strength and fitness industry. And you're going to see them and say, oh, well, you know, these, are, these guys are so popular, even though they have bots for followers and bots for commenters and likers and sharers. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, I wrote in the book 1020 Life, don't believe what you see because you're being lied to. And the Brad Castleberry is, is a good example of it. You're getting fake weights. People aren't following the diets they advocate. They're not taking the supplements they advocate. They're not following the programs they advocate. And they're lying to you and they're selling you a bag of shit. And over and over we see it because these people wash out like fucking, um, you know, people over and over that we see year in and year out. They come and go and they're replaced with another good marketer. So what you need to do is look at someone that's been around for years and years and years and been consistent and putting out good products, good content, helping others. What are they doing? How do they act when you see them out in public? And in the, the day, judge someone by their their um, you know their long term, well longevity for for lack of a better term, 
And uh, that's what you need to look at, not just someone who comes on hot and then disappears, you know, after a couple of years. With that, I want to say something about the Brad Castleberry thing is, <laughs> right, like... John P. Brake. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to say that, though, because I find it interesting. Like, I, I like to touch a little bit of every style of sport because I think that, you know, every type of athleticism and every type of lifting has its own gift to people. All right. And, like, I don't know much about, like, what numbers would in powerlifting would be considered successful. Like, that would be, oh, you have a 1,700 – or you have a 2,000-pound total. That's awesome. Right. Right? But I look at that dude and I'm like, wow, if this guy was really squatting what he's showing, like – benching. He'd be one of the best oh. ever, right? Am I delusional no, no, in that I, I watched a video not long ago of, I think it was 500-pound rows, which made Ronnie Coleman's video from 10 years ago look like nothing. And Ronnie Coleman, without a doubt, is one of the strongest humans to ever walked the earth. And obviously one of the best physiques ever. So it's really, uh, man, it's a, it's a bad thing when you have people that unfortunately don't have enough discretion to understand that this is fake. And it basically, um, man, it, 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 it hurts someone that's legit, like a Ronnie Coleman or Ed Cohn or Steve Goggins or like a real legend that would lift weight similar to a 500-pound bent-over row or, you know, you know, they have real lifters that have benched over 700 pounds raw. And here's Brad supposedly doing seven plates or 700 pounds for reps in the gym. And unfortunately, people don't know better and they're sold a bag of shit. Right. And that's – do you think that's based on the aesthetic appeal? Like, uh, say, I don't have abs, right? But if I walked what? in and I was able oh, – yeah. shit. I no, know. You got this. First of all, let me just say this. If I had abs, I wouldn't speak to any of you because I'd be above you all. Yeah. Oh, shit. I, I guess you got to go, well, oh, <laughs> no. say something really sexually oriented like, with dudes. But I'm not no, but I'm just saying, like, I think it's the aesthetic appeal that that guy looks a certain way. If it was whoever with no abs rowing 700 pounds, people wouldn't give a shit. But because that guy is shirtless and he's got his little... Uh, and he looks good. His little vagina pooch out. Yeah, he looks good. You like that? He's, he's putting. I mean, I'm, I'm mad at it. I mean, I yeah. would. Yeah, yeah for sure. Right. Just I mean, some laundry on that. He he looks he looks great, but unfortunately, people, the fake weight's been going around for the longest time for photo shoots, and I've known about them for over ten years. And unfortunately, people that are new to the sport, are, are new to social media, are new to following strength sports, they don't understand that a lot of the time they're being lied to. These these athletes, these Olympian champions, Mr. Olympia champions. These world record holding powerlifters, they're not taking these supplements that they promote. They're not taking a testosterone booster. Are you kidding me? They're not taking that. They're not, you know what I mean? They're taking a pill. They're doing photo ops all the time. They're photoshopping their abs. They're photoshopping their backs. And they're photoshopping their weights or using fake plates. And unfortunately, it sets a bogus standard for everybody else. So this whole time I've been drinking fit girl tea, you mean I'm not going to be eventually a fit girl? You might be. Chances are that... um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to kill your dreams, but yeah. there's a chance you could. I don't know I have how. The pose Brian Carroll, the dream killer. Yeah. I'll show the pose later, but I have it. Yeah. So we talked about something really cool, and I'm going to ask you something that's like everyone, like a fanboy question. If you have to put like your top three, because you talk about Ed Cohen, you talk about talking to Donnie Thompson, you talking about talking um, Louis Dick Simmons, Dave, Louis Simmons, everybody. Rick Hussey. If you have to put three dudes, don't put them in a particular order so you don't piss anybody off and get right. a weird text. Three dudes that made an impact, not just because they're the famous, biggest impact, biggest impact. So if everybody that doesn't know them can start Googling using the Google three dudes, three people, not dudes necessarily that have made a huge impact in your life as now just transcending sport. 
period. Besides McGill, because at this point, okay, that's good. Yeah, I'm gonna take that one away. Yeah, he he would be an, a clear cut number one, man, sure. because he say he saved, saved my life. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of things. We ended up writing this great book about it. Um, a lot of influencers. You say scrape? over over the years. <laughs> you just say scrape. I might have. Wow, straight thug. Yeah, you got that uh, scrape. Comes to Miami, speaks thug. Which yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, yeah, but actually, I kind of wanted to at the same time. See murder album. See yeah. murder. See yeah. murder. Put out a record in prison, and it was talking about um, two My chains. Mind has been blown, bro. It, was, it was talking about two chains. <laughs> you should look it up. He's oh, killing man. two chains. Talking about he ain't about best nothing. friends. <laughs> do some goddamn karate. You want to go do some karate? <laughs> All right, go ahead. This is time of Randy Jackson. He he somehow got the lyrics out on his iPhone, and then someone mixed it in the studio for him. Seriously? I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah. So I don't joke. Yeah, I yeah, I do, do. I'm, I'm straight. I'm straight real. I'm straight real. <laughs> I don't joke. Uh, number uh, so in no particular order. Adam Driggers because I've trained at his gym for the last 14 years, and when I got to his gym, I had only done one full powerlifting meet, and he let me train with him. He trusted me to come over to his house and lift. So th- that's an obvious one for me. Um, Steve Goggins. Um, he is considered one of the best lifters of all time he's helped me out you know a lot over the years and he's come to me to a couple xpc meets 2012 2013 and i just have always had a ton of respect for that guy and he's got to be considered you know he's the first guy to squat 1100 pounds and he did it at 40 years old in 2003 yeah and um you only got five years you know, Dave, Dave Tate. Uh, I'm not. I'm no longer with Lead FTS, and hadn't hadn't been with him for a long time. And I left to start PowerXStrength.com. But he was a great help as as a mentor and a friend to me. And, and he didn't necessarily coach me or ever help me with my training specifically, but he'd always give me food for thought, and 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 ask me kind of rhetorical questions to kind of get me going down a certain path. And he was one of the people that that said that yeah, he he thinks that McGill would fix me. And uh, that so so those three are. are are, are really, really big influencers. Uh, obviously, you name McGill, Steve Goggins, Dave Tate, Adam Driggers. There, there's a lot of people that I'd like to thank. I'd actually like to thank all of my training partners that have stuck with me through the good and the bad and the ugly. And, of course, my wife has to be up there, too, with putting up with me and, and uh, you know. She's the, a saint, by she's, the way. She's seen all the ugly sides After of it. After knowing sure. her, I, like, I don't even want to be friends with Brian anymore. And uh, I'm going to be emailing Rhea. So maybe, <laughs> listen, Rhea, I have a, a meet I signed up for in February. Can we uh, consider this? Maybe it's just a trial meet. It's just, but, <laughs> and you know what? Honestly, t- uh, t- teamwork is huge, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest. I mean, I mean, I hate talking about my personal life because no one might talking about bullshit. But you cannot make this alone. I'll be honest, if, this, if I was alone, dude, and I was left to my own vices, being super self-destructive as I am, be fucking done. And I don't mean done like figuratively, like, ha, done, bro, done in the ground, done. Game over. Game over, man. It's just the way I am. So, attest to you guys and your teamwork, because when, the first thing when, uh, when we talked about our significant others, it's like, yo, she's seen the ugly, and then I stood there, and I go, I didn't even have to talk about it, because there's some ugly shit. When you're like cycle, when you're hurt and mm-hmm. you're fucking at bottom, because again, it's such a complete 180 from being on top, right? Mm-hmm. And it becomes, it becomes shit. So credit to Rhea. Let's give a round of applause. Yeah, Rhea. 
in, in our book, Gift of Injury and Stu's Acknowledgements, he oh, says yeah. he says something about Catherine, you know, please don't tell her she can do much, so much better than me. <laughs> and, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, Stu is such a humble guy for working with. I mean, I know some of the athletes he's worked with, and I can't, I can't tell you, but there's some of the best athletes that ever walked the earth, and George St. Pierre being one of them because they have a video together on YouTube, and at the time, he was on the top of the mountain. 2008, you said? Or yeah, it, it, was, it was. winning all those? Yeah, he, right was, he had the title. Yeah, he had, he had a title for a, long, for a long time, and he retired the champion. Um, the controversial win over Johnny Hendricks. But, mm-hmm. man, Stu's works with some of the best people, and, and why he chose to do a book with me, it's very humbling, you know? Yeah. He could he could have done a book with anybody. With anybody. Yep. And, I, and it's just a credit to your uh, to your ability to to supersede adversity. Yep. Um, and I think that the, the one of the thing I wanted to touch base with, and why we had this whole entire part, it was very last minute, right? I asked I asked Brian a few days ago. I asked the guys from Beardstrong. I'd be like, man, not even a week, and it was completely hypothetical. Was because the whole point of these podcasts is to to understand that sport uh, being life as we talked about it last time is bigger it's different it's more than just uh just like lifting up barbells and getting up just being nuts and being stupid and getting head tattoos like an idiot but (laughs) it it ends up being it ends up being deep Mm -hmm. um and after reading the gift of injury the the reason why i was waiting for this book is because i needed something deep to relate to Mm -hmm. i can't relate to just somebody telling me about a spine injury i can't oh you know when you flexion and extension and herniations i'm like yeah, i don't 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 i'm more than just that i'm more than just this fucking physical being so when i read the hardships you wrote in that book your relationship descriptions uh the, the coming home and i wanted to fucking do anything uh, physically emotionally you're pissed off all the time i'm mm-hmm. like fucking did somebody go into my diary did somebody read my fucking shit besides mm-hmm. all the pictures and the hairs I collected from Brian today? <laughs> I believe it's called a journal if you're a man. Well, oh, is it? I think so. Oh, you don't even know about a unicorn diary, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know. You don't even know. Get out of here, man. Wait, what do you have? You have you have an, an Air Force One picture? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shut the fuck out of here. Listen, I got a, I got a hardcore, I got a hardcore like truck with uh, fire on the side. And... Uh, and that, that's one of the biggest things why I wanted to have you on this whole, this whole show. And, it, and I don't mean this show, like, there might be two people. This, you know who Gary, Vayner, Gary Vaynerchuk is? Yeah, Gary V, yeah. Okay, you know what he says? Everything's better than zero. Yep. You ever heard that quote? Mm-hmm. And one of the big, I told you boys too, right, from Beer Song when we talked about it. When you get one like on Instagram, when you get one follow on your podcast, that's huge. And there may be two people that listen to us, or a thousand, or a hundred. Or 69. <laughs> what does that even mean? You won't, you won't say that again. Shut your goddamn mouth. <laughs> so when we talk about this in the future, uh, these people that, that are here in this, this, this podcast right now, it might be 50 or 100. It's going to change their goddamn lives. And it's because I heard your name and I heard your, your work and I was like, eh. And truth be told, he told me to stop lifting. And I was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> right? I, mean, I was telling you guys. I'm like, this guy told me to stop lifting for four weeks. Fuck that. Three days later, I couldn't feel my legs. Two days later, I'm like, oh, can you work with me, please? <laughs> you know? And it's because, it's because that's, that's, that's how it happens for us, right? Yep. Um, I'm not going to push this much forward. We have a lot of drinking to do here at the Battle Action. Brian, if you have anything to say right now, any kind of Instagram or books or anything you want to talk about besides the gift of injury and stuff like that, 
please tell us a little bit about those stuff. We're going to close this show down right now. Yeah. Um, and I think we had a fucking awesome conversation. Yeah. yeah I want to thank my team at PowerXStrength.com. It's a place you can go to grab swag, retraining logs, lots of good articles there. And they've been a great support to me. Obviously, thank my wife. Done that over and over today. Um, Smart. And, uh, you know, you can <laughs> grab 1020 Life on Amazon or PowerXStrength.com. That's my original baby. And, uh, of course, Get to Vendry is available everywhere. BackFitPro.com, PowerXShrink.com, Amazon.com, Amazon.ca. It's all over the place. And uh, look for posts over the next few weeks. Look for lots of podcasts like this great one we just did. And we're going to be talking about the book. And the Gift of Injury is about building strength, resilience, and the, uh, uh, building resilience in the injured uh, back uh, athlete of the, uh, you know, from anyone from a stay-at-home mom to the strength athlete and we can it's not a death sentence it's not a life sentence if you have a back injury and it's all about building the resilience at the end of the day and we tell you how to do it it's both a narrative and a how-to guide and we we walk you through the whole process the good bad and the ugly so thank you guys for having me on and i've enjoyed talking about the book the banter and the uh and actually the good bad and the ugly with you guys Thank you, Brian. Beard strong. If you guys have anything to say, apart, like like literally talk about yourselves, where to follow you, where to hear you. You guys have about I party. What, 60, 60, uh, 60 episodes now? 43. Fuck yeah, man. That's A impressive. Lifetime. Right. Yeah. And on my first episode, I beat them. Uh, anyway, so. Oh. Thank you for the editing. <laughs> That's what he was waiting for. Yeah, he I wasn't was waiting for us to end that shit. You think I'm not? Okay, seriously. I'm gonna he wasn't going to wait for us no, to say no, our no, signature no. phrase or Cut anything. Me off, you sack of shit. Here we go. Shark, Shark for you face. You don't get to edit it. Uh, fuck. Motherfucker. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and. Um, so I'm going to say this one last thing and then we're done. We need some sushi. Perseverance. If this episode is not about that fucking word tattooed on my throat, Brian is literally an example of perseverance. It's holding fast. It's about staying the course. It's about not being a pussy. It's about living by example. It's about being somebody who's a fucking leader. It's about being different, right? It's about going naysayers, but not necessarily letting them lead your life. That's the reason why I'm working with them. I don't work with somebody I don't believe in. I don't bring them to my family, my friends, my clan, my gym, my girlfriend, my peers, because they're somebody I don't believe in. You're looking at, at something and someone that everyone fucking told them it wasn't going to happen. And this isn't a, a leg or a shoulder. It's your spine, bro. This is it. This is the center of your body. It's also the center of your soul, man. It really, it, we can really get that deep. So, Brian, I'm going to thank you for coming out here and being an example of not only just you're a busy dude. You don't, have to, you don't have to just say that. You don't have to just sit with us. We're just a bunch of fucking nobodies that believe in something. So <laughs> perseverance is something big. And uh, thank you for that. This is MDLP, your host, Battle Axe Shim, telling you, don't be a pussy. Everything ends.